Welcome to week four of our Young Saints series. Who's enjoyed this series so far? Anybody? It's been amazing. I love the reminder that we um, have several reminders that we've gotten throughout the series. You are not too young. You are not too inexperienced um, to be used by the Lord. You have a story already, and we want to encourage you to continue to trust in the Lord to reach out and um, share your story, just like David shared a couple of weeks ago. We want to encourage you to <clears throat> just really be encouraged through this series and um, take every opportunity that you have to step up and be used by the Lord. Um, I'm excited that Pastor Jeremy allowed me the opportunity to speak tonight, and here's what I want to give you a couple of, um, just a couple of little things right up front. Some of you have, have probably heard me speak up here before, maybe downstairs at some point. Um, I'm, I'm a, um, like an ADD type person. I really have a hard time like, uh, just focusing and getting through things. So tonight, um, as many of you know, if, if you've ever been in a message that I preached, I like either visuals or something tangible, something that you can kind of hang on to. Um, I just have to have something like that to really be into the Word. And so um, we're going to, like I mentioned earlier tonight, we're going to jump into a passage that should be really familiar to everybody. It's the story of David and Goliath. And so um, if you have not heard that story, would you raise your hand? As I expected. We've all heard it. Okay, so everybody knows the story already. Um, but because of that, I'll tell you this much, sometimes... Being really familiar with a story kind of works against you because when you come across a passage like that in Scripture, you're, you're already of the mindset, I know this story. I already know what the Word is about to tell me, and so therefore I can kind of tune out as I make my way through these passages. We're all guilty of that. Every single one of us are guilty of, of kind of checking out at different points when we get to like those really familiar spots of Scripture. Um, if you are following along with the church's um, uh, annual reading plan. Right now, I'm doing that. I'm following along with the church. I've gotten to this point where all of a sudden I'm like really engaged once again because it's back to these little books in the Old Testament that most of the time you don't read. And so all of a sudden I'm going through these things and I'm like, oh man, I forgot about that. I totally forgot about this part of scripture. I forgot how this story links this part of the scripture to this part. And so I was just telling Brittany, my wife, this last week, I was like, man, I'm really excited to be where we're at in the reading plan right now because it's like, it sparked my interest once again. But I'll say that <clears throat> that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing to have that familiarity where you're like, I don't need to pay attention to this part. That's the kind of thing that you run into a lot of times when you come across a story like David and Goliath, because we think already from the very front, from the get-go, we know what this story is about, right? We got a good idea, so therefore, we don't need to really pay attention. But I want to encourage you tonight, this is not going to be like your typical message with like three points, and I'm going to tell you all these little practical things. We're going to read through the story, and here's what I want to do. I just want to give you examples as we read verse by verse through this story of how you can apply Scripture to your life, okay? So it's really simple. We're going to read a lot of Scripture tonight, and I just want you to totally focus in. So listen, if you're next to a friend and you're tempted to talk tonight, I want you to get a hold of yourself right now and say, okay, this is for me. I'm going to compose myself. I'm going to engage in this because God's got something for me tonight. 
I want you to pay attention. We're going to go verse by verse, like I said, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And as we are reading through this, I want you to think of how you can apply this method of studying Scripture to your own personal life, okay? Don't get in the habit of just reading large chunks of Scripture and moving on with your day. Get in the habit of slowly reading a verse, thinking it through, what does this say for me? What difference does this make in my life, okay? So that's how we're going to take this passage tonight, and we're actually going to start 1 Samuel chapter 17. Anybody have a Bible or a a phone that you're following along? Anybody? Okay. One person does. Okay, the rest of you, you're just going to have to listen. Let's go to verse 4, okay? Verse 4 says this, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Anybody have any idea how big that was? Six cubits and a span. It was big, right? We know that much, but like I said, I need more detail than that to actually be engaged in Scripture. So, Tracy, could you help me out? Stuff like this goes right over my head unless I really take time to think about it. So Trayson is going to be helping us out to get a visual reference of what six feet and a cubit actually looks like so that we have something to put into context the rest of the story for tonight. So Goliath was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. The shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay, so I looked a few things up this week because I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. Um, You can go ahead and release the clips. So six feet or six cubits in a span is nine feet, nine inches, okay, which just so happens to be this right here. I made a banner that was the actual size. So that's Goliath right there. That's his size. That's nine feet, nine inches. So that's how big Goliath was. Then it talks about the weight of his armor. His armor actually weighed 125 pounds. And just the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds all on its own, which, I mean, doesn't sound like a lot, but if that was on the end of a large uh, javelin, and you had to hurl that thing through the air, I think you would all of a sudden get, get a little bit more of an appreciation for what we're dealing with. Pay no attention to the fact that this uh, is like not a Goliath era type warrior, okay? This guy's probably like way later than that. That doesn't matter. I just wanted the size. So Goliath wouldn't have worn like some knight costume like this, and he didn't carry like this type of stuff, okay? Don't get sidetracked on that although I just did. Okay, continuing on, the point is the enemy was huge. Okay, this was the enemy that that was taunting the Israelites. So Goliath was there, and day after day, as we're about to read, this was the size of the enemy that they were facing. So in chapter, in verse eight, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Okay, and again, just to put in context what's going on here, the Israelites are lined up on one side. The Philistines are lined up on another. There's this huge valley in between them. 
And Goliath would come out and he would shout to the Israelites day after day and he would say to them, I'm a Philistine, you guys serve Saul. He's saying this to the entire Israelite army, okay? And they're all listening. So they heard him day after day shout, are you not servants of Saul? And here's what I want you to tuck away for a minute, and we're going to come back to this later, but no one challenged that statement. Day after day, he would come out and say, I'm a Philistine, you serve Saul, and nobody challenged it at all. That was, that was something that really should stand out to us in the text. Do you not serve Saul? So he was taunting them. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become servants for us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Again, Saul, or, uh, Goliath was there taunting the entire army, telling them, you serve Saul. And here's, what they, here's the, the major problem of all that. It says that on hearing this, they were dismayed and terrified. So for a long time, this went on, and what, what do you think began to happen in their hearts? They began to listen to those words. They began to internalize that message, and day after day after day, they kept listening to the enemy. They kept listening to the one who was defying them and the Lord. They were giving his voice a place in their life that it really did not deserve, They were listening to a message that they should not have been listening to. But day after day, as Goliath kept taunting them, it says that they were dismayed and they were terrified. The voice of the enemy, yes, I acknowledge. And and, and when you look at this, I mean, who wouldn't be afraid of this, right? If this was a, a literal, physical person standing before you saying, hey, let's fight. I think every single one of us in our right mind would turn and run, right? I don't know anybody in this room that would actually stand up and fight. And there's some scrappy little people in here, okay? But none of us, not not one of us would stand up and fight this guy. We'd probably be scared too. Because the enemy at times when we give his voice a place in our lives can be very scary and intimidating and can be devastating as, as Scripture talks about this situation. Verse 12 says this, now David, okay, so we're shifting gears here, okay? It's setting the stage. We got Israelites on one side. We got Philistines on the other. Goliath comes out. He taunts them, does this whole thing. He kind of sets the stage for this. We shift gears in verse 12. It says, now David was the son of an Ephri, or, uh, sorry, an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul into war. So please make sure you're following this. These are David's oldest brothers. His three were there. They were in the Israelite army. <clears throat> They'd followed Saul into war, into war. So the firstborn, Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. Everybody say Shammah. That's a fun name. Don't you wish you had a sibling named Shammah? David was the youngest, okay? So the three oldest followed Saul. 
But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Okay, one thing you have to you have to immediately be processing here as you're reading this, David was not in the army. Okay, the army was there fighting the battle, or at least it's what they're supposed to be doing. David was not there. His job was to stay home and tend the sheep because he wasn't even old enough to fight. Verse 16, for 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. So 40 days in the morning and in the evening. So you're looking at like 80 times by the time we catch up to David in this story. 80 times this guy has walked out and said, who wants to fight? If you can take me, we'll become your servants, okay? Is that a yes, like I'll fight? Were you? Oh, okay, just stretching your wrist, okay. So he's saying, he's saying who wants to fight 80 times? Stretched out over 40 days, this message is really sinking in because they are like, they're like, okay, whatever. They're afraid. They're, they're like backing down from this fight. But for 40 days now, this army of the Lord has been standing there waiting for something to happen. None of them, of course, are the ones that are going to step up. Verse 17, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain take 10 loaves of bread, which in ephah, this was like 30 pounds. Okay, so he's saying, take 30 pounds of this bread for your brothers and hurry up to their camp. Take along 10 cheeses, which you have to imagine if, if he's carrying 30 pounds of bread, he's probably got a lot of cheese too, and cheese weighs more than bread. So he's loaded down with a lot of food, okay? He's taking all these supplies his dad's sending him. He's like, hey, take it, to their, uh, take it to these guys and check on them. See how they're doing. Bring me a good report. So see how your brothers are and then bring back some assurance. They're with Saul and all of the men in Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Verse 20 says, early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of a shepherd. Again, that was his job. He was the shepherd boy. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. So he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So think about this, okay? We're on the 40th day now. What do they do every morning? They get suited up. They, they march out like they're going to fight, and then Goliath comes out, and he's like, who wants to fight? And they're all like, not me, and they go home. Forty days in a row, they show up, and they go home. But David, though, of course, we're about to read, has a little different plan in mind. So it says he reached the camp as the army was going out to take their, their positions. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, and he ran up to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So we get the picture here that, that <clears throat> as David runs up, and he's like checking in with everybody, hey, how's it going? You guys doing okay? How's the war going? You know, just here to bring you some bread and cheese and everything. Uh, I left it back there, but what's going on up here? Day, or Goliath jumps out, and he's like, hey, come out and fight me. If you do, you know, he gives the whole spiel again. Um, and David's standing there this time that he happens to say all this stuff. So... Verse 24 says, 
whenever the Israelites saw this man, they all fled and they ran from him in great fear. So same scene as every other day. Verse 25, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his, him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. These were, like to them, these were great things, okay? If they had someone to marry and they didn't have to pay taxes, this was like a huge reward if somebody would just step up and fight and defeat Goliath. David, in verse 26, though, says, <clears throat> says David asked the men standing around him, he's like, what will be done? If, if somebody kills this Philistine and removes him, removes this disgrace from Israel, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Think about this scene, okay? So these guys for 40 days now have heard the threat from Goliath. Day after day, morning and night, they put on their armor, they walk out for battle, and then they run home. But David walks up and he hears it and he starts like, I don't even know if these are like some sort of insult. I don't know if these were cuss words or what, but this uncircumcised Philistine, in other words, it's like, you piece of trash, you don't even belong on this battlefield. But, but you have to remember again, David's not even in the fight, okay? So this, this army is standing there ready to, to jump into battle, and David runs up like, again, hey, got the bread and the cheese and everything, what's going on here? And this Goliath steps out, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, come and fight me. And David's like, who's this guy? Okay, think about that person in your life. We all know somebody. Um, we all know somebody who, who just exemplifies this kind of confidence, like just this total swagger, like the person that walks around like, I got this. Like, it doesn't, seems like nothing ever phases them. Anybody have somebody like that in mind? You know somebody in your life that they just walk around kind of on a different level than everybody else, right? I'm going to tell a story real quick, and I forgot to ask Violet for permission for this, but um, it's actually about Tanner, so don't worry. But my, my middle son, Tanner, most of you guys know Tanner. <clears throat> he's in sixth grade, so he'll be in youth next year. But Tanner, from the time he was like this big, has just had like this confidence about him. And I wouldn't say he's an arrogant kid at all, but he just has like this, this air about him where he's like, yeah, okay, I'm in, I'm in charge of myself. I'm in charge of the situation. He's just always had this, this kind of confidence about him that I, I don't really know where it came from because I don't have that. I didn't give that to him. Brittany doesn't have that. But somehow he came out like ready to conquer the world. So <clears throat> anyway, when we had just moved into the house where we live, we've lived there for like 10 years now. Obviously, all of our kids were really young. Tanner was just like just big enough to where he could actually say full sentences and stuff like that. So he's a little tiny kid. Violet would have only been like maybe five years old at the time, I think. So um, there are neighbors all around us that had kids that were <clears throat> a little bit older than Violet. So she was like a couple years behind them. And they'd been playing in this group and um, all the neighbors ran off and left Violet out of what was going on. And this happened intentionally because she was younger. You know how it goes. So like little kids do stuff like that from time to time. Violet came in the house. Her feelings were hurt. And she was telling Brittany and I what had happened. Well, in the meantime, what we didn't see is that Tanner 
again, like this big, heard the story, what was going on, ran out the front door. Again, we didn't know what was going on, but went to the neighbor's house, knocked on the door, asked for the the neighbor, and when he came to the door, he's like, you don't treat my sister like that. You're not going to treat her like that. You upset her, and you need to apologize. (laughs) So we got this, like, literally, like a four-year-old kid who's, like, owning this situation. Okay, Violet's much older than he was at the time, but he was, like, in charge. That's the kind of confidence we're talking about, okay? When David walks up to the battlefield, it's like he was in charge of, of himself in that moment, but at the same time, he didn't really have what it takes to really back that up. In reality, Tanner couldn't do anything other than just say, you need to go apologize for this. He didn't have anything to back it up. He couldn't have, like, fought this kid and beat him up or anything like that. But he was, like, confident. And it was just like this confidence that rose up from within him. And that's the same situation that David had. Because in reality, this versus David, who was not a big guy, he wasn't very old, even if David, I mean, even if David as a young teen was my size, he's way outmatched. So it was like totally out of, the, out of, out of context for David to think that he could take this guy and that, that something not only should be done, but that he could be the guy to do it. I got to find my spot. Sorry. Where in the world did I just leave off? So he comes out, again, he's insulting him. Um, Anybody know what verse we were on? 27. They repeated, okay, they said all this stuff. They, They repeated basically what the guy gets. So in 28, in 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. He burned with anger and said, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave all the sheep with in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've only come down here to watch the battle. So again, this is like oldest brother kind of stuff. He's telling David, like, you don't even belong here. You're so young. You're not trained. You're you're not a part of the army. What are you doing here? You can tell his brother was ticked off. And then on top of being upset and telling him he's out of place, he begins to insult him. He says, your heart is wicked. You don't belong here. I know you're just here to watch what's going on. You're not, you're not, you're not involved. This is not your fight. What are you doing? David, obviously um, not deterred. He's like, what have I done? So then he, he just like says, he's like, what have I done? Like, can I even talk to these guys? I mean, I'm just asking them what's going on here and, you know, like, what does the winner get and stuff like that? And so he's not phased by this, though, okay? So it says right here in the text that he just moves on down the line a little further. Like, I guess my brother's over there. I'm going to go down here. And then he repeats the same thing. He's like, hey, so what's the winner get, you know? So he's like totally undeterred by this whole thing. And in verse, in verse 32, <clears throat> it says, um, Says, 32 says, David said to Saul, because eventually it gets around, word gets around that David had been going around and asking all this stuff. They're eventually like, Saul, you got to take care of this little kid. 
he's, he's like going around and he's, he's stirring stuff up and people are obviously getting angry. So 32 says, David said to Saul, because Saul had summoned for David to come to him, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So this is David now telling the king this in 32. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. For you are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Again, just a reminder, you don't belong here. You're not qualified. You don't have what it takes to fight this guy. Go home. Go home. I think for for most of us in here, at some point in our lives, we've received a message like this, right? You don't belong here. This is not your fight. You don't have what it takes. It's time for you to go home. So please excuse yourself and just move along. Anybody, anybody identify with that message? Anybody ever been there before? This is Saul telling David, the only one after 40 days who's willing to even entertain the question, who will fight me? He's telling him, move along. It's time for you to go. But Verse 34 says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So at the end of this verse, we're really beginning to get a picture of what's going on here. David was the most unqualified of all the people out there to take on the most intimidating and qualified warrior on the entire battlefield. They'd been defying them. Again, Goliath comes out and says, I'm a Philistine and you serve Saul. Come out and fight. David, though, the most unqualified, raises a really good point here. As Saul begins to tell him, you need to to move along, what does he say to him? He says, this guy is defying the army of the Lord. Meaning, I don't belong to you, Saul. I don't serve you, Saul. This guy is defying the army of the living God. He had it. He had the perspective correct. When the rest of the men were standing there and Saul would, or Goliath would say day after day after day, I'm a Philistine, you serve Saul. We never heard anywhere in the text that any of them challenged it and said, no, we're God's army. We're not Saul's army. David had the right perspective, though. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine dares to defy the army of the living God. His perspective was in the right place. And and I don't think in any account that David was focused on his own physical limitations. I don't think he cared at all about that. I don't think he cared one bit about the fact that this guy could crush him immediately. Because his confidence and his sights were on the Lord. Not, I'm in Saul's army. I'm I'm a skilled warrior. None of that stuff. Of course, he does talk about killing a lion and killing a bear. 
but, but immediately, where does he give credit? He says, if, if God delivered those things into my hand, then surely he'll do the same as I face this giant. In 38, it says, then Saul dressed him because he, they go round and round and David's like, hey, you know what? All this, you know, I'm going to go fight him. And so in verse 38, it says this, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, though, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to this stuff. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in one hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in his pouch. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Okay, so picture this again, just slowly reading through, okay? We know... We know the story. Don't skip over the details, though. When you read in your, in your own personal time and you're spending moments <clears throat> studying Scripture, take time and ask yourself, what does this mean? Okay, what does this mean? And in verse 38, when it talks about Saul dressing David in his armor and giving him his sword and, and, and preparing him for battle in that way, I mean, what, what image comes to mind for you? David's like swamped by this stuff because he's just a boy and Saul was a giant, handsome warrior. You know, if you read scripture, you, you, you talk about, or you, you remember that, that Saul was a head taller than all the rest of the men, okay? He was a giant man and Israel loved the way he looked and the way that, that they thought he would lead, okay? So you got this giant guy who's, who's now, who's, he's, he's putting this armor on David, but David's like, I can't wear this. This is your stuff. This is your armor. This is your sword. I'm not comfortable in this. But I wonder if you'd pause for just a moment and ask yourself the same question. How many times is it that you and I are walking into battle dressed in someone else's armor, carrying with us someone else's weapon, instead of going in the confidence of the Lord, in what he has surrounded you with, the armor that he has placed on you, the weapon that he has put in your hand, the stones that he has given you to face the enemy. How many times are we going into battle relying on someone else's preparation? I'm here to tell you tonight, you can try, but it's not going to last. It's not going to bring success. You will not overcome the enemy with someone else's weapon. You've got to get with the Lord. You've got to spend the time in the word. You've got to spend time in prayer. You've got to spend time in worship. You've got to spend time putting on the armor of God, like scripture talks about. Because if you try to go into battle dressed in someone else's armor, fighting someone else's fight, You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be out of your element. You're going to be unprepared for what the enemy throws at you. You guys, I desperately want you to get this point tonight. When you read scripture, ask yourself this, God, what what is it that you have for me in this passage? How can I become stronger? How can I become closer to you? What can you do in my relationship with you tonight as I read this story? David had the right perspective through this whole thing. We know that he was unqualified. He was was the least likely 
to find success, but he approached it from a different mindset. All these other warriors who were more qualified, more capable of fighting, probably had more experience than him, all of them were afraid because they were looking inside themselves. They were looking to Saul. They were looking to all these different things as their strength, as their reason of why or why they should not go into this battle. David, though, on the other hand, had the right perspective. And clearly he says right here, look, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do it. If, if I'm going to fight this fight, I'm going to do it in the strength of the Lord, the strength that he's given me and with the tools that he's given me. And he did not find those things through someone else. He found them through time with the Lord, through time preparing for battle. So in verse 41, it says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David over and saw that he was the little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. So Goliath was like, ugh, this kid, I can't believe who they've put before me. So he said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? He's insulting him. He's insulting his weapons. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and with spear and javelin, but I come at you against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Again, his perspective was in the right place. He said, you've come at me with your weapons. I've got the Lord on my side, and it's his strength that I'm relying on. It's his will that I am, that I am following in coming out here on this battlefield. Verse 46 says that this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. So he is speaking to the enemy right now. Hasn't happened yet, but he's speaking in faith to the enemy. Remember way earlier in the story as Goliath would come out day after day after day, what happened to the rest of them? They listened. They listened to the enemy. They gave the enemy voice As the enemy came out and said, come and fight, they listened to his words. But David spoke to the enemy in faith saying, no, you come at me with these things, but I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. We need to be prepared to do that in our own lives. Instead of sitting around listening to the enemy, listening to temptation, listening to the things that try to get us off track in life, we need to be speaking words of victory over the things that tempt us. We need to be speaking words of life over the people around us. We need to be speaking words of victory in our homes. We need to be speaking it in our schools. Everywhere we go, we need to be speaking things instead of listening to what the enemy brings at us. Because the thing is, the longer you listen, the more you entertain the message of the enemy, the more likely you are to believe what the enemy is telling you. Goliath kept saying day after day after day to this entire army, and eventually they listened, and they believed what he said, that he would defeat them. But David came at them in a whole different way, and he said, no, I'm going to come at you, and I'm going to strike you down with this stone, and then I'm going to chop off your head with your sword. So in verse 47, it says, 
Um, Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, but but the battle is the Lord's and he will give it all. He will give all of you into our hands, talking to the entire army now. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Verse 49, reaching into his bag, he took out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell to the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. And he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. David ran over, David ran and stood over him. He took the Philistine's sword. He drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Tonight, we're, we're going to spend a couple, of time, a couple of minutes in our fam time. <clears throat> Let's take 15 minutes here in just a second. But I want you to focus on, on these things. I think that from time to time, we get so stuck in this whole protection mode, in this whole, this whole process of just trying to cover and protect ourselves that we forget who and why we are fighting for. We forget that God has called us to be more than conquerors. God has called us to be victorious. God has called us to have victory over the enemy in our lives. We have to listen to his voice. We have to trust in him. We have to apply his word to our heart. We have to spend time in worship. We have to spend time in prayer. And with those tools, we can be successful as we face giants like this. I want to give a really quick summary of this passage. Again, verses 4 through 7. Talk about the fact, and we can see behind us, they faced a huge obstacle, a huge enemy. They listened to the enemy. They believed the enemy instead of the Lord. Instead of fighting the battle for the Lord, they focused on protecting themselves. They just kind of turned inward. Verses 12 through 15, David was a nobody. He was insignificant. His job was just to support Again, he was like the cheese and the bread man. That's his only role in this whole thing. Verses 17 through 19, again, they reinforced that, that his job was really to help the people who were do the, doing the real work. But in verse 26, we're reminded that David was fighting the Lord's battle. He knew what his purpose was, even though he was told by many others that that was not his job. He did not have full support in his calling and in his identity. He did not have people surrounding him that believed in who he was. Like many of us often do not have people who support us or believe in who we are or what we're called to do. His brother clearly thought he did not belong. His brother insulted him and actually assumed the worst about him, told him that his heart was wicked and he was just there to watch the fight. David did not belong, though. That was actually a fact. He didn't belong there. Everyone doubted him. His father doubted him. His brothers, we we know his dad doubted him because he said, hey, take these supplies there and just get a report and come back. His brothers doubted him. The entire army doubted him. 
because they ratted him out to Saul when he started going around asking what was going on. King Saul doubted him. But at the same time, when David finally was like, look, I'm here to fight. I can do this. In the name of the Lord, I'm going to do this. Eventually, they're like, okay, go ahead then. They just kind of threw him out there. And eventually, we know the rest of the story, what happens. Like we talked about in fam time, I think that we, as a group, are facing giants in our life. Individually, you're facing giants in your life. Hopefully, you guys had some good discussion and you were able to kind of talk about some of those things. I know what it's like to face things in your life that seem like huge obstacles. I know that it can be intimidating. I know that it can be daunting to to day after day to look at something in the eyes and think, I'm not really sure how to tackle this. But I want to remind you guys tonight that that we have we have a choice several choices in this whole thing that are going to determine the outcome, whether we're defeated and we're sent home or whether we are victorious and we get to live the life that God intended for us. It's really simple. The choice is yours, whether you're going to believe who God says you are or you're going to listen to the enemy. Again, when, when Goliath came out and, and tempted the, the, or the Israelites day after day, what did they do? Eventually, they just began to listen to the enemy's voice instead of like David speaking to the enemy, speaking victory, speaking life over their situation. But here's the thing. We can't do that if we don't know God's word, if we don't know what words of victory sound like, if we don't know the word um, that, that God has placed in our life. If we don't know who we are and his identity and his purpose and his calling for us, then we can't claim those things over our temptation. We can't walk in victory if we don't know victory. And so tonight, when we walk out of here, I want you to be able to name your giants. I want you to be able to face these things and identify what the things are that are standing in front of you calling for your attention the things that are tempting you in your life. I want you to be able to name those things, but better yet, I want you more than that. I want you to know who you belong to and the purpose that, 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 that our God has for your life. So yes, we should be able to face these things, but more importantly, we have to know how and why we're facing them. We're facing them because God has given us victory over these things already.